Welcome to the Pinelander Podcast, the official podcast of Pineland, broadcasting from an undisclosed location deep inside Pineland, where we discuss faith, family, finances, firearms, and freedom, and everything else in between, with those who believe in living free and living out the values that made this country free. Welcome, everyone, to the first edition of Pinelander Podcast. Uh, my name is Paul LeFavre. I'm here with my good friend, Mike Blackburn. And this is our very first podcast uh, sponsored by Blacksmith Publishing. You can see I'm wearing my swag. It's my hat uh, and some other swag behind me. Uh, but it is uh, my pleasure uh, to meet with Michael today, to, to meet with Mike today. I'll get it right, Mike, one of these years. Uh, and just... Um, get to know you guys, and I just uh, can I should stop right now. That's right. Only my girlfriends call me Michael. So uh, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of exciting. Um, I think we owe the listeners an apology first, which yeah. is we are not professional broadcasters. No, and um, for it's wrong. <laughs> for, for those of you that are watching on video, um, don't let all the cool uh, gear fool you. We absolutely have no idea what we're doing. That's so, true. So anyway, we'll just get that out of the way. But we, uh, like everything else that, that uh, we do in life, I think we'll just learn as we go. That's right. Yeah, it's, uh, we've, I've been excited to have this podcast. Uh, we, uh, I've seen podcasts for years. And, and recently, we were able to take part in a podcast. I think it was my very first one. And I was excited about that and immediately saw how we could take things to the next level. And I'm excited not only to take our business to the next level, but also uh, to get our readership and our, our listenership, if you will, um, out there tuned into a lot of the good things that we have. I think Mike, Mike and I have a lot to offer, and uh, that's really why we came together with Blacksmith Publishing. And, of course, you're going to get bored with us pretty soon, so uh, we do plan on having guests. Um, we have some incredible authors uh, that we are really looking forward to bringing on and, and uh, talking to them and kind of picking their brains um, on, you know, why they, you know, the, the, the story behind the book. There's always a story behind the book. So we're looking forward to having guests and uh, maybe even uh, call in. Uh, people can call into the podcast as well. We'll let people know, you know, when we're going to be broadcasting so they can call in the phone number and talk to us if they want to. Uh, but all these things are are going to be down the road a bit because we can't even figure out how to do the video yet. So uh, <laughs> That's true. But as, as we figure this out, we're going to get a little more, I guess, technically savvy. Yeah. I mean, years from now, we can look back on this first uh, edition and uh, laugh at ourselves. Uh, but what's awesome about everything we do in Blacksmith is because we're doing it to fill a niche. We're filling a void. Uh, and... You know, what better way to start this podcast, I was thinking, than to just talk about uh, the genesis, the beginning of uh, Mike and I coming together and having this idea of a company that would be more uh, than just the Small Unit Tactics Handbook. 
Right. Uh, initially, uh, our, some of our detractors said all we would be is a one-book wonder. That's, but that's true. We have become much more than that as we've been discovered, and people have discovered that we have a lot to offer. And uh, so I, I think, uh, if it's okay, Mike, I, I wanted to just talk about how we, how we had this idea. Yeah. Right. So we're out there, and if uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Mike and I used to work out at uh, Camp McCall, and uh, we were observer, controller, evaluators for the small unit tactics portion of the Special Forces course. We we're privileged to work out there. We're both retirees. We're knuckle draggers, knuckle dragging master sergeants from the Special Forces, and you know. And uh, once we were put out to the pasture to die, we heard about this place. Uh, and uh, this job opening. So we flocked to it like moths to a flame. And uh, I discovered the beauty of working out there. And what I discovered is you get to give back to the regiment. You get to uh, uh, stay focused and, and part of the regiment and part of the community. And I love that because when I initially got out, it's like, and this is a, a phenomenon that I've noticed with a lot of guys as they get out and they're like, okay, my life's over. Now what do I do? Yeah, you got to find new purpose. Yeah, I had to, I, I really had to look at myself and say, and retailor myself and say, okay, now what do I do? Uh, my running and gunning is over, okay? Uh, I'm not as physically fit as I used to be. And... But then I discovered this job. Mike also discovered that job. And I just loved getting having one-on-ones with the students and taking someone who's like a generator mechanic and then making him a commando and being a part of that whole process of him becoming a commando. I love that. And that's really uh, where Mike and I met and where the idea of the Smoking the Tactics Handbook came from. Just right. those... You know, I had, um, and I had little books like this. I love these little books, these little moleskins. Uh, and these these books, you know, they're they're great to just journal. And I don't go anywhere without one. And so I had to have uh, a lot of these in my cargo pocket. And sometimes they get trashed in the draw, what have you. But I tried to tabulate uh, all the cool things that I could add to the training. And I have that old man moment where I could, the old seasoned guy could just start talking and, and uh, you know, people would listen. And, and that, those books started to, you know, accumulate. And so Mike had this idea, hey, why don't we put all that goodness in one volume right. uh, and then present it? Well, I, I had become, like a lot of people, probably frustrated um, over the years at the Ranger Handbook. Um, yeah, and it's there's you know everyone knows there's everyone has their I guess their favorite edition of the Ranger Handbook. A lot of times you'll have guys walking around with the one that they used in Ranger School, you know. Um, and there was some you know times when the book you know the Ranger Handbook came out that um, you know it, it it had been through Jenny Craig. They were very narrow. There's not much information. Um, they they did a lot of hard cuts in there. And then other times they would come out with a pretty, you know, robust, thick one that had a lot more goodies, if you would. But generally speaking, the Ranger Handbook has been 
relatively consistent in a lot of areas. That being, it's really just a lot of notes. Yeah. That if you understood how to do um, the events or what whatever it was describing, you would go to the Ranger Handbook and you would just sort of jog your memory with a few bullets. The problem with that was if you'd never, um, if you weren't experienced at putting in a patrol base, for instance, the Ranger Handbook probably wasn't going to make you an expert at putting in a patrol base. And, and precisely. So what we needed... Yeah. Uh, which is what we did at SUT. I mean, we were instructors, just like uh, RIs are at a ranger school. You know, we're, we're teaching these tasks, and um, we decided that we really kind of needed our own book out there. And uh, no place better uh, to go than to Paul Lefebvre's uh, notebooks, because he had everything in there, and lots of great little you know tidbits that we had kind of learned along the years um, working out there. Um, so we decided to make a, you know, I guess a ranger handbook on steroids, if you will, but also one that was tailored to our community, the soft community in particular, uh, that talked about our heritage, our lineage, um, our history, um, our founding fathers, our Medal of Honor winners, etc. cetera. And, and that's really where the idea came. That and the fact that we were getting ready to get fired. That's true. That's a little known, uh, little known fact is the, uh, as so hap- often happens out there, uh, the contracts come and go. And uh, so we wanted to leave a legacy. Um, and one of the things that I think that we both understood that happens out there is uh, Camp McCall can become somewhat of a Petri dish for good ideas. And there's always some type of changes that are coming down the pike. And uh, that was something that uh, we realized and we thought, hey, this could be something that generations from now can use. And this could be like an institutional rudder to bring us back in the middle of the channel, so to speak, so that we're not you know, bumping up off on the shoals if we were following this nautical crazy analogy here. But uh, we, uh, and, and if we got to come back, that would be great. But I really thought I would never go back. And I thought that was it. And I was like, hey, this yeah. is like, this is what we're giving to the regiment. That was yeah. kind of my idea too. I think having yeah. the old retirees out there is, you know, a win-win. Um, yeah. But we also understood that that phase, if you will, had been run, you know, for many years without retirees. So oh, yeah. It was, you know, clearly possible to run that phase with just active duty. Yeah. Um, so we understood that it was a luxury. And the, the continuity, though. Is the, well, yeah. And that's, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it, there's a lot to benefit from having us out there. But yeah. I also understood that. You know, if you had to do a, a rough budget cut, if you had to cut yeah. some, if you had to cut some fat, if you would, that's probably you know the first place yeah. they're going to look, just because there hasn't always been retirees working out at that phase. Yeah. Um, so while we were out there, it was awesome, but yeah. I also knew that just like you, that you know we wanted to leave something behind that would lay a foundation, if you would. It's the book is not a you know. A 20 or 25 different techniques on how to cross a road. You can figure that out yourself. But what the what the book was trying to provide was like what you were saying, was it, these are the principles, these are the kind of things you want to achieve. 
it, I think the SUT handbook is a thinking man's book. Uh, it, it's going to provide you enough information where your own brain starts, you know, turning and you start to figure out how to solve the problems that you run into in the field. That's, that's absolutely right. Uh, there was, I was also thinking about this uh, for our first podcast. I want to take a, give a shout out so, to some of our old, old uh, paisans that helped us, um, you know, put this uh, volume together. The first guy I thought of was Steve Pumphrey. Uh, Steve Pumphrey, wherever you're at out there, brother, hope that you're safe. Uh, one heck of a model American. Uh, the, I learned a lot from him. Uh, not only him, but uh, Ron uh, Berryhill. Yeah, Steve Rule. Uh, you had uh, Mark Ballas, uh, J.D. Cobbler, right. old J.D. I mean, if you his patrol-based class, uh, Ranger Cobbler, his patrol-based class was so in-depth that, uh, I mean, you would have 10 extra pages of notes, uh, just the do's and don'ts, and a lot of that goodness made its way into the Somalia Tactics Handbook. So I appreciate you, brother. And then, of course, uh, Troy Peterson. Uh, and then even going back further to Shane Ladd. Shane, wherever you're at there, brother. The, You know, there's, there's ghosts of Camp McCall. And if the trees could tell stories, oh, what sordid tales they would tell of the, the valiant efforts of uh, Shane Ladd and his uh, other sidekicks out there, uh, with the, running with the four horsemen. <laughs> but uh, but my whole point is, I had a lot of people help me. Uh, Mike and I put this volume together. So I just wanted to give a shout out to you guys wherever you're at. I appreciate oh, oh, you guys. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's the beautiful thing when we were out there anyway. Was um, you know you didn't have you didn't have very far to go if you needed an answer to something. Um, and you mentioned uh, Ron Berryhill, and my goodness, I mean, uh, if that guy wasn't a walking manual, oh, yeah, I could just tell you what page things were on, you know. Yeah, um, you know, it was it was a crew that was was pretty hard to sharpshoot as far as um, you know the knowledge and what they knew, uh, but it was a lot of fun out there. So, um, you know, I was just like you said, I was privileged to be out there and work with a lot of fine people, and uh, but that was that was the impetus for the book, and and I'm glad we put it together, but. But since then, I mean, I guess the bigger picture is, you know, writing a book was one thing, Paul, but yeah. then, then we had to figure out, okay, what's the company really about? Yeah, exactly. So we uh, we knew, like, like I said, our detractors said, hey, you're a one book wonder. Uh, but we have, that was just the beginning. And then, so what Mike ha and I have is the synergistic uh, goodness. So we can just sit here, like right now, and we don't really have a script. At least we hope. <laughs> and we can just wax philosophically and come up with some awesomeness. Uh, and that's really what happened, at least in my own brain. <laughs> but that's, a, that's what happened uh, with every book and ev everything where this company went. Uh, honestly, I actually didn't think we would get this big. I had no idea that one day we'd be doing the things we were doing. And so, uh, but Mike did. I think he's a guy that has, he's more of a visionary. I'm more of a, a creative weirdo. And so he could just cast a vision out there of where this thing is going. And I kind of just thought, well, that's nice to dream, Mike. But Well, I think, <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's funny you brought that up because, I mean, I, originally I think that was the intent. I mean, we were just going to write a book. Yeah. 
we were going to find someone else to publish it. I mean, we didn't know anything about publishing. Yeah. Um, but after researching that, we figured out if you're going to put all that work in, really, um, to write this book, which you you know you did. I mean, it, I think the first cut was the first draft of it was probably 750, 800 pages. Yes, it, was, it was huge. Um, there was a lot of material and there was a lot of time spent um, compiling all that information and making it make sense and putting it in a good order. Um, and then, of course, when you go to a publisher, I don't think either one of us really wanted to have to deal with that. You know, uh, you work really super hard and then, you know, Simon & Schuster gives you about, you know, five cents per copy. Um and that's great, yeah. but I think in my mind, I was like, you know, if we're going to go to all this work, um, let's just make it up as we go. Let's just figure this thing out, but at least reap the rewards from, you know, the hard work and, um, and see if we can do something more than just write one book. And, uh, and that's, that's what we've done. I mean, we've, we've tried to figure out a place for ourselves, a niche, if you will. Yeah. And I think we've found it by you know, servicing the needs of America's warriors. Absolutely. Trying, trying to figure out what you know, what these guys want, what they need, and then trying to find authors out there that can fulfill that need. Absolutely. And that's that was, I mean, we, we share a brain in this sense that we wanted to, we wanted a platform where warriors like us, like-minded barrel-chested freedom fighters, red-blooded Americans, they wanted, I wanted to have a platform where they could go and they could sharpen the tools of their trade. That's what we wanted. We wanted a place uh, to have books like that and also uh, uh, speaking engagements, uh, wherever this would go. And something you said that uh, reminded me of how we got started is just having... uh, Sitting down, having coffee, right? How many things have happened in, uh, the, on this continent just by having coffee, right? Coming up with good ideas. Uh, but the ideas we'd have, I think, and my brain has always followed, and forgive me if I get philosophical here, but it follows Hegel's triadic uh, nature of everything, and that is the, the thesis, antithesis, synthesis. And so we would get together, and we would banter these ideas and that's where these other good books came from. Uh, I remember uh, we were enjoying, I think, an omelet and some hash browns at a local restaurant here. And over that meal, we came up with the idea for iron sharpening iron. And if I don't know if you remember that moment. I, I, I do. I, you know, we, <laughs> we, we talk about you know the need for you know I called it the man book. But yeah. Just sort that's of, that's just what we call it first. You know, I, you know, I, it, it could have probably ended up being titled that, but you know, the idea was to sort of push back, if you will, on some of the ridiculousness that you that you see out there in in the media uh, today. I mean, I, I remember reading an article not that long ago. Um, it was a, a gentleman out of New York, and he was married, and, and he, the article was about the, you know, the difficulties and the fear that he had trying to raise a boy in today's society with all the weird expectations. Yeah. Now I read that article and I was like, that didn't even make sense to me. 
I'm like, what do you, what do you mean raising a boy? You, you, you raise a boy like you've always raised boys. You know, you, 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 you teach them to be men. But I kind of understood what he was talking about there because, you know, probably in that urban environment that he is in, you know, they have all these crazy expectations. You know, uh, you know, these are these terms, toxic masculinity. That's and all, all this, down, yeah. You know, and all this other nonsense. So this guy's, this guy's looking at today's environment and he's wondering, well, I knew how my dad raised me, but evidently that's not acceptable anymore. So I thought it was time to kind of push back against yeah. some of that nonsense and, and write a man book. Yeah. That really wasn't anything new. It was just restating the obvious. Exactly. And that was 2013, 2014, we had that idea for this man book. And that was before this woke culture where we want to rewrite the history of our country and uh, just define things right out of existence. What, just, you know, t- uh, pay your nickel, t- uh, uh, you know, take your choice with like marriage, right? right? Uh, what is marriage? Uh, and that book, you know, today, uh, I don't know if it's been discovered by the woke community, but it, it would probably shock them from, you know, from the, from the word go. Yeah, it would, it would be on the top 10 list of books to burn for sure. I think so. I mean, that's why I think, you know, red-blooded Americans should like it because it starts with um, the foundation that's made our, our country great. Uh, the Bible, uh, the, uh, the founding fathers with their brain, with reason, uh, using all of the, the Judeo-Christian ethic to build our country. Uh, and also, the Americans love the sting of battle. We like to run to the sound of the guns. We're not afraid to stand up for what's right. Those type of things that we see uh, our culture just becoming more mamby-pamby and less red-blooded, as like I like to say. That's why I wanted to write that. It, it had to be written. There's other books like it, but this one, I think, uh, if you just squeeze it out, right. uh, it, that's what it is to me. No, it's a great book, and um, you know, if you sell if you sell five of them, yeah, five people will benefit. I yeah, mean, it's it's not going to be a New York Times bestseller because you know we're a small publishing company, but certainly uh, it's a book that, regardless of who you are, if you get it, if you get a chance to get your hands on it, it's a good yeah. read. So uh, that was a lot a lot of fun to to write, and it's also good to see people still getting something out of it. That's the beauty of writing a book, isn't it? Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because in our community, too, um, we have a lot of interesting people in the soft community. And you know, it doesn't matter if it's Army or Navy or Air Force or whatever. I mean, the kind of folks that are attracted to the, the special operations com- community are, you know, usually have a lot of very interesting uh, attributes and uh, character traits. And I think for us too, it's, you know, a lot of times we're talking to people like, hey man, why don't you write this stuff down? Yeah. Because, you know, you're retired or you're getting close to retiring and, you know, you spent 20, 30 years acquiring all kinds of knowledge on whatever it is that, that you do. You know, capture the stuff, put down the words of wisdom and pass it on to the next generation. You know, because when I was, you know, when I was in my 20s, just, you know, starting out in the military, I mean, I was like, probably like everybody else. I mean, I was, I was a complete idiot. But, 
you know, but by the time you retire, you know, at least you have a little bit of sense about you and you figured a couple of things out. So, you know, the chance of being able to figure out those those things that work and those things that don't, and being able to pass it on to that, that guy that's just starting out, um, I think is a responsibility and a duty that, that we you know, that we have. No, that's, uh, I was just thinking about that the other day, uh, is uh, my idea of when you find a good book, when you find someone that you can learn from, and in a way you're standing on their shoulders on all of the work they've done and you're looking further afield. So it's, it's like when I discovered, this is why I love publishing, is because I, I remember when I discovered reading or really discovered it. And I went to high school and I somehow I got a, a diploma and they said, come on. And I went, I quickly joined the army before they changed their mind. Uh, but uh, my last year in the service, I really discovered reading for the first time. And I, the funny thing is I became a team sergeant and I didn't really know any doctrine. And I thought, gosh, shouldn't I know a little bit more than, hey, hurry up. I mean, and by that time I had forgotten how to be a Charlie anyway. So I thought I need to bring something to the table here. And uh, so that's when I really started reading. I became like a Renaissance man and I really started reading. And then uh, now fast forward to this discussion. Now I see, hey, now it's time to pass the torch to to be able to take uh, the goodness that we have and pass it on to the next generation. And that's what I love to do. I see myself as someone uh, that's my responsibility is where I am in life to, to be able to pass on what I know, to uh, enable the next generation. And that's, you know, uh, I think that's some play in a large uh, manner where we've kind of failed as a society. Uh, and that could branch off and I could go off on a long tirade. The, the short synopsis of this long tirade, if I went off for 30 minutes right here, is uh, I think men are not, as, uh, not enough men are responsible. They don't take responsibility. They don't see themselves as uh, really the, uh, the emotional uh, thermostat of their household and the primary uh, educator of their children, uh, at least responsible for that. Uh, the school that you, take, you send your kids to, that's not the responsible party. You are. So you have to, you know, so just on a, an extension of that, as I see myself, you know, uh, wanting to give what I have to the twenty-something-year-old guy, that's yeah, there's, there's, wherever he is. Yeah, yeah. There's an absolute hunger out there for that uh, type of guidance. Uh, I guess I, I don't know. I mean, I, I just didn't really realize how how precious that was when I was a kid, sitting around with a bunch of old guys. You know, whether it was uh, you know. At, at the feed store or something like that, but I mean, you know, when I, the, if you if you grew up in rural America uh, back when I did, I mean, there was no there was no shortage of advice that somebody was giving you. I mean, everybody was either, you know, correcting you or you know giving you advice on what you ought to be doing. Um, that's lacking quite a bit today, I think, um, and I think is the reason why people like Jordan Peterson are so popular because. You know, when, when you know he has a, an event at an auditorium or whatever, it's packed out by twenty-year-old yeah. young men, and I think there there's a certain hunger for 
uh, that kind of message. You know, what what is you know why are you know, why are you here? What's your role? You know, what are you supposed to be doing? Um, and I think women, you know, women want that too. They I mean, do. Women are not looking for some girly boy. Um, That's right. They're looking for a man. And, yeah. You know, I think they're told. Uh, what the perfect male is, and then they figure out when they get older that that's not really the perfect male. You know, I think they figure out pretty quick that, you know, that soft guy that doesn't know how to change a tire probably isn't a good life mate. Yeah. So. No, I mean, this whole discussion, I think, uh, this is pretty much uh, on the pulse of, I think, what blacksmith is. Uh, we're a little edgy, Right. Uh, edgy in the sense that we're not afraid to give some pushback uh, to ideas that are against what America is and the freedoms that we have. And so that's that's why I love our company, too, uh, is we're not afraid to do that. They're not afraid to speak up because we have uh, an inalienable right as Americans uh, of free speech and to, to call a spade a spade and push back on things. Yeah, we're, we're unapologetically American. Um, yeah. You know, I'm not gonna. You know, I love this country. You know, I'm not gonna say, but I know we have our problems. I mean, that always that always makes me laugh when people say, "Well, you know, I love I love America, but I know but we, uh, you know, but I know we have our problems." Uh, yeah, I, I know that because we're human. Yeah, but uh, that's got really got nothing to do with it. Yeah, um, this is a this is a fantastic country, and if you don't think it is, you know, you, you probably need to travel a little bit because if you travel around the world, you're gonna figure it out real quick. Uh, you have a lot of opportunities and a lot of freedoms here that you should take advantage of and defend. Yeah. Now, I love that uh, a quote comes to my mind from Turkville, uh, which is, what is that book he wrote? Democracy. In Democracy America. in America. There you go. But I remember he said, uh, I don't remember everything he said because it's kind of a, it's a big book. But one thing I remember, because uh, if you remember, Turkville actually was a French uh politician and he took I think he came over here in the 1840s and 50s and he wrote this massive book Democracy in America anyway he said America is great because she is good but when she ceases to be good she will no longer be great I think America is great because we're good we're good I mean here's another long tirade and I just give you the synopsis is at the end of World War II uh, we did get a little help from the Russians, okay, all right, defeating the Nazis, granted. <laughs> uh, but we destroyed two empires, right. Germany and Japan. And after that, uh, because we're good, we didn't keep them under our thumb and then murderize their people and enslave their people. No, what we did is we rebuilt, we helped them rebuild their economies, arguably in some ways, their economies you know, are uh, in some sense better than ours. But we're good because we did that. We did what was right. right. Uh, so that's my little pulpit thump uh, for the day. Yeah, and I think also where we sometimes mess up is that we try to make everywhere else America. Yeah, um, and I that's think an understatement. And, and I think I think we're <laughs> better off being, you know, as Ronald Reagan used to say. And of course, he got it from someone before that. But you know, the shiny. City on the hill, you know, we're, yeah. we're really supposed to be an example where you look at and, and, and people go, wow, you know, I, I want those freedoms. You know, I want to be the freedom yeah. of speech. I want the freedom to bear arms. I want the freedom, you know, all, all our Bill of Rights that we, that we so uh, 
Absolutely. You know, don't really spend the amount of time that we should trying to defend and, and maintain, but um, they, they constantly are chipping away at. But yeah, uh, America is a great country, and I think there are uh, forces like there always have been that uh, are determined to try to uh, break what we have. But you know, we have to, that's what that's what America does. America rears warriors that step up and guard our way of life. I mean, I'm glad you said that because something that uh, this you know 2020. Uh, 2021, it's not over yet. I forgot to tell you, today is the 6th of December of 2021, about halfway through a podcast, but there you go, if you're waiting for it. But uh, the the thing that I remember uh, for the last two years is just the, the desire I had to just let people know, hey, it's okay to be American. It's okay. Uh, because you had people that, you know, you saw so many flag burnings, uh, you saw people badmouthing their country. But what I really believe is America lives on in the hearts of its patriots. It lives on in our lifeblood. And so that's how America stays alive. Because you have people, and I know that, I believe really the calm heads are going to prevail. You're going to have your weirdos out there. They're going to want to burn down the establishment. They want to... Uh, uh, erode the foundations that everything we have and rewrite American history. But the real Americans, the patriots, this is what keeps America going. And I think that's a good statement because America is not racist to its core. I denounce that, critical race theory, we denounce that. I think you should denounce that. It's wrong. Uh, it's, it's racist at its core, and it's trying to foist uh, this... Uh, these lies upon uh, you know all the the young people of our day, and think about so many have already have hook, line, and sinker taken this thought that it's truth, but it's lies. I think we're at a slight advantage than the average American, and that is that we have received you know training and we have read books on unconditional warfare. Um, how to overthrow governments. Yeah. Um, we we kind of understand, to kind of understand yeah. the old game, if you will. A lot of times that's what's called the old game uh, with the psychological operations, the information operations, uh, you know, pitting groups against one another. Um, you know, for us, you know, we look out here and we recognize a lot of these these tactics, these oh, yeah. this this trade craft, if, if you will, and of course, you know the the white supremacist uh, thing is just a part of that. Yeah, uh, the race thing is just a part of yeah. that. Um, it's part of their playbook. I, I'll be honest yeah. with you. I mean, I've traveled all over the United States. You know, you have too, Paul, and I, I think you would probably have a better chance of finding Bigfoot than you would of a real yeah. white supremacist today. Uh, that's not to say that there aren't people that uh, have a variety of opinions about a variety of things, but uh, for the most part, people really don't care about your skin color, okay? Because it really yeah. doesn't make sense to anybody. It's boring. It's, it's, it is boring. And every time someone talks about skin color, I mean, I'm just like, dude, you, yeah. you know, welcome to the 21st century, yeah. man. You know, you, you didn't get the memo. Okay? Yeah. No one really cares about that anymore. And really about sexuality, too. I mean, yeah. I think we're kind of like way past that. It's really like last century. No one yeah. really cares what people do in their bedroom anymore. Yeah. 
That's your um, business. Don't yeah. bring it out to us. Yeah. But the, the, these are these are part of weakening a society, weakening a, a government is is the breakdown of the family. Absolutely. And, and uh, pitting one group against another, uh, you know, tribalism, uh, a yeah. lot of things like that. So we recognize what the you know, what the foe is doing is pretty obvious to us. Well, sometimes I'm kind of amazed still at how effective a lot of these tools are, um, especially a lot of the propaganda that you see on the big networks. Um, and, and a lot of people don't recognize that you are. Yeah. I can assure you they're reading scripts and, you know, there is an agenda on every one of those shows. Yeah. Now, if, uh, and if uh, our listeners have never been to it, on YouTube you can go to... Just type in Yuri Bezmanov, uh, and it's uh, this is an enlightening. Uh, you'll probably be hit with some selections, but basically he just breaks down how the KGB uh, has laid out a way to bring us down using our own people, uh, and it's 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 like uh, you're just wowed by how they have thought out of an approach. And the other thing I thought of when you're talking is uh, the guys out at McCall. Uh, they get the training they do, and when they do, they immediately see how the media is used. Right. Uh, this the the talking points and the narrative and the information operation that's going on just to just to uh, steer the listeners a certain way, just to like get a whole communities spun up uh, to to run out and do something nefarious, and that's that's they see that and they're just aghast. Wow, how that's being done, and it never ceases to amaze me. Now that I watch, uh, I watch CNN, the Communist News Network, and I'm just aghast by wow. Look at how, uh, let's say, Don Lemon is going off, and how his talking points are just following Yuri Bezmenov's playbook that the KGB uh, say that they're doing. Uh, it's amazing. It is. Uh, the other thing we probably lot of talk about too is um, blacksmith publishing is one thing. I mean, writing books, uh, finding great authors that have you know interesting topics. Um, but but why the why the podcast? I mean, here we are sitting yeah. here with a couple of microphones, uh, you know, talking to ourselves. Um, you know, why are we doing the podcast? I think the podcast uh, needed to happen uh, to get more of what we have out there, and also uh, we want. I wanted to have, and I know you did too, to have our, our authors be able to have a platform where they can kind of give people the background for their books, kind of show how the development of the books, because you know, the book is one thing, but when you can have the author talking about it is, is another. But not only that, but I kind of just envisioned uh, having uh, libraries of podcasts uh, over our various topics that we kind of cover in our books. Uh, one of those uh, that we just talked about was, you know, unconventional warfare and counterinsurgency. Uh, I love that topic. I think uh, you see it out, you know, on TV, uh, but it's also uh, our niche. One of our niches is uh, that topic, and that's really uh, the bread and butter of the special forces is unconventional warfare, first and foremost, but also uh, counterinsurgency, which. You know, we have been doing uh, a lot more of that than uh, unconventional warfare, but we always fall back, you know, to our bread and butter. So I think, in short, the podcasts are going to give us a platform to do that, 
to get all of this goodness and awesome sauce out there uh, to our guys. Yeah, and we don't, uh, you know, we're still a young publishing company, so we don't have the, you know, all the titles that I would love to have one yeah. day. I mean, I'm, you know, we could certainly, I could think of a hundred titles I'd love to have right now. Um, for instance, just getting um, self-reliant. Yeah. I think these are things that Americans are, are doing yeah. more and more, where they're sort of uh, realizing that life's a little weird right now, and they're, they're starting to kind of uh, retreat a bit back to the foundation, back to what works. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is just, you know, planting a garden, um, being a little more um, self-reliant, understanding where food comes from, um, understanding that there's a lot of conveniences that could go away quickly. And, you know, are we prepared? Yeah. Um, where, does, where does things come from? Uh, you know, coming off of the smartphone a little bit, spending more time with the family, uh, board games are back in. I mean, there's a lot of things where the whole country is sort of kind of reassessing where they're at and kind of where they need to go. And I think what we want to do, too, on the podcast is talk about a lot of those things, too, like, you know, personal finance, um, food procurement. Yeah. I'm, I'm learning as I go. I yeah. Mean, I, just like this podcast. I mean, I, my wife and I just started putting in a garden in a few years ago. I'm learning every, every time I plant, I learn more about that. These are things that I think were common for our grandparents. I mean, I, every, pretty much everyone knew how to do a garden. Yeah. Um, uh, people soak Except me. Clothes. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I mean, I remember canning as a kid. I don't have a green thumb. I remember watching the, the older women can. Oh, yeah. I, I could Those old skills. Yeah. I, mean, I did some canning here uh, in the fall, and uh, that was an experience. And it wasn't anything, you know, complicated. But I think just kind of getting back to the roots and having a chance to kind of talk about whatever... You know, those type of topics, I guess, is, you know, the kind of direction America's going in. Kind of be getting smart and getting back to the family yeah. and those things that that I think are a little more nature-focused. Uh, yeah, if, you know. absolutely. I think there's, uh, there's no uh, end to the goodness, especially that, uh, if I could say this, one of the good things that come out came out of COVID, right, is... Uh, people became more family focused. I know I did. When I had to, you know, you couldn't go out and do as many as much things as you once did. I um, I was reminded of how important family time is. Uh, like you said, to put away the phone, right, and then focus on uh, you know the important things. And I think that's something else that uh, our podcast will be able to do um, is looking at family topics. You know, family and faith, uh, Bible studies, uh, in-depth topics for like uh, pastoral training, leadership training, because uh, that's also blacksmith. Uh, we're not just about, uh, you know, uh, military aspects, uh, survival type of aspects, but also family. Yeah, faith. Yeah, family, faith and family. Friends, we kind of use a, an alliteration clients, of F. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, I mean, we're, this I'm kind of looking forward to that. Too. This Americana, I mean, yeah. anything that's kind of traditional Americana, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of our, our niche. Yeah, and all, and all I do is, uh, like my father says, 
uh, Dad, if you're out there listening, David Lefebvre, uh, one man's uh, pig is another man's bacon. And so I can, if you follow the analogy, uh, you hear something that's good, uh, and then you make it your own. And so I think that's what we would like uh, on the, our pack, podcast is you hear something that's good, and then you incorporate that into your life. And that way, we're living vicariously through you. You're taking something that we have that's good, you're sharpening, you're sharpening something that you're doing at work or uh, in your family life, in your faith, and that's awesome. So if I could uh, uh, offer that, anything that I have that's good, that helps me sleep better at night knowing that I was able to give something to somebody else and help out another good American. Pay it forward. Yeah. Um, what kind of titles we got coming up in Blacksmith? What, what are we, what's Blacksmith working on right now? Well, we got some, uh, we just had a book. I'm, I'm really dying to talk about this. It's uh, Triple Canopy. It's by Patrick O'Kelly. Uh, this one we just loaded up. Uh, it's really about his 20-year career uh, from Grenada to Panama uh, to uh, Desert Storm. Uh, so basically from the 82nd, the Parachute Infantry Regiment, right, Paratrooper uh, to the 3rd Ranger Battalion, and then on to 5th Special Forces Group. So this, I think, has a lot. Uh, it's an autobiography. Uh, he's got, uh, he doesn't really uh, sugarcoat his life. So he's just, he's just uh, raw. So you can get a lot out of it. He's, uh, he's not afraid to cover up his mistakes. So it's kind of one man's, uh, one Green Beret's memoir to kind of help out the next generation. So I love that. I think that's going to have a lot uh, in store for guys out there. I think there should be more books like that. You know, I haven't, I haven't seen a lot like that. I'm excited. Uh, if you're on the fence and you're writing a book or you're considering writing a book, you know, give us a shot. Go to the website, you know, blacksmithpublishing.com, uh, and then, you know, see what we have. Maybe try us out. Give us a call. Yeah, we're, we're a different type of publishing company for sure. Um, but, you know, check out the website, and if you think you're a good fit, you know, we'd, we'd love to have you in the family. Um, the other book I really wanted to talk about, too, was, um, you know, we were talking about this earlier, which is kind of giving back to the community. And I think Chris Imperial has done that with uh, with his book, Land Navigation from Start to Finish. Absolutely. I mean, it was a lot of fun to help him, you know, draft that uh, that book. The cover's awesome. The cover's I mean, awesome. I, like I mean, why wouldn't you like that? It's got the triple canopy. Uh, it's got some great cover art that my daughter did, Leanne, uh, uh, did that for us. Uh, and uh, it didn't break the bank, <laughs> if I remember yeah, the daughter, the daughter always cuts you a pretty good discount. Um, but yeah. what's good about that book is uh, it has it basically we take this is something else blacksmith does. If I can sneak this in here, is we take something that could be very difficult mm-hmm. and we make it understandable. Uh, we like translate it for you. We're like, hey, look, we've been there, we've done that, we've made all the mistakes, and now we want to give you a volume that kind of makes this. Uh, understandable in your hands, yeah. and that's I think that's what we have with Land Nav. From no, Chris, Chris, Chris did an excellent job. Yeah, absolutely. He's been teaching the the topic for years, and I think the reason why you and I really liked Chris's material was the fact that it was just laid out in a really simple, yeah. Um, oh yeah, easy to understand format. There's nothing, I'm not taking anything away from the military land navigation manual. 
miles. I mean, if you know, it's huge. I mean, you know, if you've got a couple of months, you know, knock yeah. that thing out, and, and you're, you'll be a genius at the end yeah. of that. But you know, your brain will probably explode yeah. about halfway through. Yeah, Chris doesn't do that. You know, yeah, I don't care who you are. You, you can be a civilian. Uh, you can be you can be new to land nav, yeah. or you can be someone that's done land nav before, and you're going to get something out of this book. Absolutely. Whether it's just kind of fine tuning. Uh, what you're already doing. It's a perishable skill. It is a perishable yeah. skill. Um, Everybody needs it. Every, you, know, yeah. every, you know, we don't like to admit it, but even soft guys get geographically yeah. embarrassed from time yeah. to time. But uh, Chris does a great job, I think, of just um, really kind of explaining um, complicated topics, complicated yeah. subjects, and a really easy to understand method. And... Um, if you're teaching land nav, I think it's a great book for you. Absolutely. As, as if you're a land nav too. instructor. Yep. So either way, whether you're learning from the for the first time or you're a seasoned uh, land navigator, uh, I think yeah. you're really going to like this book. Absolutely. I wanted to also just uh, sneak this in here. We have active shooter awareness and response that came out earlier this year, uh, and I felt I felt that this, this book needed to come out. Uh, it was high time. Uh, there's been a lot of high-profile active shooter incidences uh, in, uh, in our history of late, uh, including churches, so it's very disheartening. And so the idea behind active shooter awareness and response is to give people tools, right? To give uh, people at uh, businesses, churches, schools, uh, a, some acronyms, some uh, methodology uh, of how to deal with an active shooter uh, situation. So that's... I mean, it's again. Uh, it has some psychology in it, but not to. Uh, we don't want to detract from anything else that's out there. Uh, but it, it uses a different type of methodology of uh, detect, deny, defend, and so it kind of puts you on uh, a more aggressive footing, where that you are a little bit more active in your. Uh, understanding of the environment. So the whole idea of active shooter awareness response is so that you don't become a statistic, uh, namely your, your family members. So if you're a man, uh, then you're a one-man PSD, and then you, have, you, know, you should be fighting to the death uh, to defend your, your loved ones. And so you can't afford to just go and zonk out uh, at a restaurant and not be aware of what's going on. You'll end up being a statistic, or even worse, your family does because you're not aware. So that's what I like about this book. I hope that it will save people's lives and it will actually uh, help, uh, I guess, turn down the volume on an active shooter problem. Yeah, we, and you know, unfortunately, we just had an incident not that long ago up around Detroit uh, with Ethan Crumbly. Yeah. Um, there's people out there that have mental illness. There's people out there that have, you know, a variety of issues. Um, and if you are anywhere in a public space, you just don't know who's around you. Yeah. And I think in today's time, you know, we need to have our head on our swivel. We need to be, you know, thinking about this and, I th and, and be proactive. You know, you don't, the first time you're thinking about this shouldn't be when you're in the incident. Right. Yeah, it's too late. Hey, and uh, without skipping over, I just want to thank Randy Butler. Uh, brother, I appreciate you. Uh, you gave me a lot of good uh, 
I guess, compass headings when I was putting this material together. Uh, you were able to also edit it. So Randy Butler, you're one heck of a mile American. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, look forward to one day having you on our podcast, too. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be great. Oh, yeah. This guy has a lot to offer. Um, the Without skipping over, uh, we do have one of the book that's been out for a little bit, but I just want to sneak this in here with the amount of time we have left, and it's Fire in the Jungle. Uh, that was written by Larry Schmidt, uh, and it was, I discovered this. Uh, it was his master's dissertation that he wrote back, I think, 1984. You can correct me later, Larry. Uh, but Larry was a, a major in the Marine Corps at the time, and he was going, to, going through the uh, command and staff college out at uh, Kansas. And I just found this PDF, and I was thinking along the lines of UW, unconventional warfare, resistances, and uh, specifically in the Pacific against the Japanese. And I found this dissertation, and I, you know, I just, uh, I was uh, so uh, excited about it. I think I ran later that evening, but it's so in-depth. Uh, later on, uh, I just I got with Mike and I said, "Hey, we got to make this a book, you know." And so what I did is I found Larry S. Schmidt. There was only three Larry S. Schmidts in the country, and the first guy I found in the phone book just happened to be him. I called him up, and long story short, I said, "Hey, I want to make this a book. Can we do that?" And we got the ball rolling. And uh, so the book is fantastic. It's being used by uh, the qualification course students uh, and the instructors. It's a great read. And it's one of the, it's from, uh, it's a study of uh, uh, one of America's most successful unconventional warfare campaigns in history. And that was uh, the uh, Americans and Filipinos that are fighting the Japanese on the island of Mindanao in the Philippines during World War II. Uh, so it's a fantastic read. Uh, I was, uh, and one day I know we'll, we'll have Larry on the podcast and, uh, he can tell us about, hopefully, uh, about his interviewing of these guys who actually fought the Japanese. And, uh, that's, uh, you know, some, uh, firsthand information, I think that you're not going to get anywhere else. Yeah. I think there were like a lot of, uh, veterans, uh, Coming out of World War II, I mean, I think they used to meet. A lot to offer. I think they used yeah. to meet annually. Yeah. And uh, so Larry had a chance, I think, of you know going to these reunions and uh, picking these guys' brains, which, I mean, I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd love to, to bet them yeah. doing that. Um, these guys are gone. But they also, uh, you know, people like Wendell Fertig and stuff like that. These are the fathers of Special Forces as well. So, um, you know, more than just a fantastic, real story that took place. It's also, for us, has a lot of uh, our lineage and our heritage in, in, in SF and what yeah. these guys did when they were young. Absolutely. The uh, probably, just as a sneak preview, uh, I am working on another book and it's our first novel. Uh, I'm a little apprehensive about novels because it's a new genre for me, um, but it's, uh, it's entitled The Wild Fields. Uh, it's a book it's really about a fight for the soul of Ukraine. Now, if you're following the news right now, you know that uh, Ukraine has been in the news for quite some time. Uh, they were uh, really invaded by the Russians and pro-separatist forces, pro-Russian separatists in the Donbass back in 2014. And since then, it's just 
kind of stalemated into a trench warfare. But you have really a war in the shadows going on. Uh, you have the pro-separatists, excuse me, the pro-Russian separatists, and then you've got the, uh, the pro-Ukrainian uh, and the government forces. Uh, but the idea of the novel is it's going to kind of showcase uh, unconventional warfare and coin set in the Donbass uh, with a sprinkling of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder and some other awesome things uh, along the way. Yeah, don't worry, ladies. There's a love story. There is a love story in it, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I hope that that is going to be satisfying also, and it will be kind of a new genre that we're, we're kind of breaking in. There's some other novels that... Uh, uh, we'll be able to announce uh, down the road, but we have some authors uh, busy working away at that. But that's kind of where uh, the podcast is going. It's it's going to go everywhere. There's so many topics to cover, uh, and so as we uh, as you dial back in, I think you're going to find something awesome every time. And I think what we're planning on doing, um, the goal is to post an episode every Friday. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's, you know, for those of you that, you know, have an interest in this podcast, we hope you, you do come back. Uh, just be looking at thepinelander.com and the podcast will be posted there and we're going to try to post uh, this episode this Friday. Yep. Uh, and then episode two the following Friday. Yeah. And then it'll, it should just go from there. I'm not quite too sure what we're going to be talking about on yeah. episode two, but uh, but that's, that's how we live. But right? I wasn't even sure yeah. what we were going to be talking about today. So. <laughs> Absolutely. But uh, yeah, one thing we, we I wanted to do before we close because we're running up in that hour time uh, is the special forces prayer, uh, and I wanted to go ahead and uh, introduce that to some guys that had never heard it before, and I want to end with that. Uh, if I can, as we end our podcast, I thought that would be very appropriate. Uh, but the Special Forces Prayer, it goes like this. Almighty God, who art the author of liberty and the champion of the oppressed, hear our prayer. We, the men of Special Forces, acknowledge our dependence upon thee and the perserva- preservation of human freedom. Go with us as we seek to defend the defenseless and to free the enslaved. May we ever remember that our nation whose motto is, in God we trust, expects that we shall acquit ourselves with honor, that we may never bring shame upon our faith, our families, or our fellow men. Grant us wisdom from thine hand, courage from thine heart, strength from thine arm, and protection by thine hand. It is for thee that we do battle, and to thee belong the victor's crown. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 All right, we will see you all next week. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Pinelander.